You're probably aware that the track team, the last I heard, they went from Costa Rica, where they had given out 20,000 tracks, and traveled by bus to Nicaragua. And the first day there, they gave out 20,000 tracks, which was their, their total that they had for their three or four days in Nicaragua. So they gave them all out the very first day. Um, and they were trying to obtain more tracks, many thousands more tracks. So um, more than likely today, um, as we're here, they're involved in distributing the tracks. So please pray for them, pray for the people there that are receiving these tracks, and also in Costa Rica. And additionally, Lord willing, this coming Monday, tomorrow, we're, we're going to have a mobile billboard that will begin to operate in the same place that the team is. They're going to leave. By that time, I don't know how many tracks they would have given out, but they're going to leave, Lord willing, tomorrow and fly back. And on that same day, a mobile billboard will begin operating and traveling around Nicaragua for 30 days. And the, the image is an image that Carl uh, developed that uh, refers to a new heaven and new earth. And then it says October 7th, 2015, with a question mark, with sort of like a, an earth rising at the bottom. It, it's a very nice image. So we're hoping that uh, God has many of his people in that city. We also um, now, Les was just telling me, have the book 1600 Furlongs added to Google Books. So so anyone can download it by going to Google Books. Um, it, it, it was kind of involved getting it up there. So uh, please um, keep in prayer. Some people might be able to find it through there. I would also like to mention that I believe we have a podcast that Bill Burton developed now available. I'll try to, to clarify that with Bill later and maybe provide a link that we'll, we'll put on the Yahoo group and on Facebook and maybe on some of the websites so that people could, I, th- I believe, go to uh, Apple or something like that and, and get, a, get a podcast. Okay, um, are we ready? All right, well, why don't we begin with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for all of your mercies, all of your grace. And Father, we thank You that uh, You have uh, given us such great salvation that You have granted us forgiveness of sins and it's forgiveness of all the sins we've ever committed, multitudes of them that are past, present, or even future. And they've all been washed and cleansed away and and the saints of God find ourselves clothed in pure, fine white linen. We thank you for this righteousness that is not our own righteousness, but is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, since it's not our own, it can never be lost. It, it can never be changed from day to day. And Father, we thank you for that. Uh, wonderful gift of salvation and righteousness. And we 
also thank you for this time that we're living in, um, even though it's a difficult time and a grievous time, yet we thank you that we are seeing the truth of your word come to pass. And we're thankful that uh, we have hope that you will soon fulfill all righteousness, fulfill your promises, and grant uh, to your people the completion of salvation, which would be a new resurrected body and a, the reception of a new heaven and new earth. We pray as we turn our attention today to your word, we ask that you would bless your word to each one of us according to our need, according to your will. We, we ask for guidance and wisdom that we do not have ourselves. It must come down from above. And Father, we pray that you be a wall fire round about us holding back the enemy uh, in order that your purposes be accomplished. And we pray for everyone here and everyone that might be listening or watching. We, we ask that you would bless them and their houses. And may you bless especially the team in Nicaragua and all the tracks that are going out. Be with the people distributing them and the people receiving them. And may it be a source of comfort and encouragement to your elect. And Father, we ask for your blessing, though we don't deserve it. But for Christ's sake, we do ask. And in his name we pray. Amen. Well, as uh, probably everyone knows this week, there was a Supreme Court decision that um, made gay marriage legal in all 50 states, so in the, in the whole country of America. Now, that's a very important thing, and some people might say, well, it's only one country. But recently also, I, I believe it was made legal in Ireland. But what happens in America normally is um, going to happen everywhere because America uh, exports its ideas through television and movies and writings and newspapers and the media. And, and so basically this will uh, more and more go out into all the world. And what's amazing is that it happened. It, it's incredible. It, it's simply amazing because the whole history of the world the history of the nations of the world, not not the Bible, not, not uh, Christianity, but the history of the world. No matter what religion, no matter what what tribe, what tongue, in every part of the earth, throughout the entire history of the world for thousands of years, this particular sin of homosexuality has been. A hidden thing. It, that's why it was said to be in the closet. And there was shame associated with it. That, that, that's how it's been even in this country until just a few years ago. And one thing we wonder is why? Why is that one particular sin? Why was that kind of um, highlighted uh, as a shameful thing? When all sin is shameful, 
I mean, that's a fact. All sin is ugly and against God and equally shameful. And and yet men are not ashamed of lying, of stealing. Just just look at how uh, those things are portrayed. People joke about lying. People uh, lift up thieves. They're they're. Um, you know, if you're a good thief, if you robbed a bank and got away with a million dollars, you're a hero. So those kinds of sins are very acceptable. Many, many sins are very acceptable. Some, of course, have never really been accepted, but it's understood the people have done it. And and they've been basically in view for the people of the world. But this one sin had always been in the dark, in secret, and and never out in the open. And the only thing we can think of is that was God's doing. That was God's doing in the world. For whatever reason, God in particular selected that sin of homosexuality and He so moved upon the consciences of men in the world, in, in that tribe that never heard of the Bible, or in Europe and when Christianity was uh, rising, or in Muslim countries, wherever God so impressed upon men, that's a shameful thing. So we got to keep that quiet. We, we don't talk about that. We don't discuss that. And, and that's how it was for thousands of years. You can't go back into history, in other words, and find the point where this sin of homosexuality was acceptable. Where, oh, that's not true, is it? That's not true. There is a place. There is a place. But they would be isolated cases. And Lord willing, if we have time, we'll look at that place of Sodom a little later in the study. But one thing we wonder, and, and why it's kind of shocking to us, is because it's so obvious to the child of God. It, it's so extremely obvious that this is a wrong thing. And it's even obvious to many people in the world that are not true believers. It's very obvious that something has just been legalized that's a wrong thing. That's a sinful thing. And yet we see people that are celebrating and, and happy about it. And, and here's why. It says in John chapter 3. In John 3, beginning in verse 19, it says, and this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Do men tolerate darkness? That they kind of like it? They love it. They love it. And we're talking love. If man loves anything, it's darkness. And, and here is what God continues to say. Men love darkness rather than light and who would be the light that would be the Lord Jesus Christ and he is the word rather than the word of God the Bible because their deeds were evil for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light 
neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. And that would be the child of God that God saves, is drawn to the light, out of the darkness. And that's what the Bible tells us concerning salvation. But the rest of mankind prefers the dark. They prefer the black night because their deeds are evil. They're a sinner. And when they come to the light, what does the light do? It tells them their wrongdoing. It tells them their evil deeds. It tells them they're sinners and under the wrath of God. And therefore, they prefer the darkness. Now, we're finding that a man has come up with a pretty clever idea. A pretty clever idea to eliminate the light. Let's legislate it and let's pass laws that say that sin is not sin. If, if you do that, then you've succeeded, right? You've finally done what man has been trying to do throughout the whole history of the world to get away from the light. So let's, let's pass a law that will say that this one particular sin of homosexuality is not wrong. It, it's something that's a good thing and a right thing for two men or, to get married or two women to get married. And it, it's something that um, now the law of the land does not oppose, will fully support, and there is therefore no sin is the idea, I think, deep down. Subconsciously, that's what's working in, in the minds of men. That if they can legislate away a sin, well, what's next? What sins next? We'll, we'll go for the next one in all possibility. But here we have people who maybe 20 years ago, they would be involved in this sin and it really troubled them because the society was against it. It was a shameful thing. And, and they felt convicted when doing it or involved in it. And, and oh, and you can see how God would use that to bring people to himself. And he did in some cases. But, but now, now when anyone is involved in it, where's the conviction? There's nothing shameful about it. There's nothing illegal about it. It's just like when a man and a woman get married. And, and so it, it has gotten to the point where there will be less and less conviction of sin in in the public eye concerning this particular sin. And uh, but really, uh, what is going on is um, what we find. Uh, we're we're going to back up a little bit. Let's go to John nine. In John chapter nine. Now I'm going to read the first seven verses. And uh, we're, we're going to look at the time uh, that is called the day of salvation and also a period of night that will come. And it says, beginning in John 9, verse 1, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, 
And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. So Jesus heals the blind man, and he does so to illustrate salvation, the work of God is, uh, as it said um, in verse 4, that Christ must do the works of Him that sent me while it is day. And in John 6, the work of God is defined in verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that ye believe on Him whom He has sent. So when Jesus says in John 9, 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. And then he he performs this work of healing. He's illustrating what the work of God is that ye believe or salvation. And he will do or perform the work of salvation while it's day. The night comes when no man which would be a reference back to Jesus Himself, can work. And then He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So He's that light that enters into the darkness. And that's what the day does. When the day rises, the sun comes up, the light uh, removes the darkness. Well, Christ spiritually is the light of the world. And while he is working, it is day. It's the day of salvation. In John chapter 11, it says in verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth because there is no light in him. And here Christ is defining the day as being 12 hours in length. We're not going to go there, but there's the parable in the Gospel of Matthew of the work day in the vineyard, which happened to be 12 hours. And there was something very different about the last hour, the 11th hour to the 12th hour. It was kind of separated, put apart, from the rest of the day's work because that last hour typified the one hour of great tribulation. And, and when we put these statements together, we find that the day of salvation is likened to 12 hours. The last hour of that day of salvation is the great tribulation period. And the great tribulation was 23 years in duration from May 21, 1988 through May 21, 2011, it ended. It ended. It concluded according 
to the biblical calendar of history that fell on that particular day and all the, the various dates fit and pointed to May 21, 2011 as Judgment Day because it was the end of the Great Tribulation. And we find that the Bible tells us Judgment Day begins right after. In John 12, verse 34, and a couple of verses following, it says in John 12:34, the people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. I'm going to stop there for a second. Little while, those two words are the same as little season in Revelation 6 and also in Revelation 20. And in both cases, the little season refers to the great tribulation. So here Jesus is saying, yet a little season is the light with you. And we can understand that he's jumping ahead 2,000 years to the end of the salvation of God, the salvation program, to the second part of that great tribulation when the latter rain was poured out. And, and that's why he's saying, yet a little season is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light. And the light would be a reference to Christ in the day of salvation. Lest darkness come upon you, for he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light that ye may be the children of light. While ye have light. And again, substitute Christ. Substitute salvation. While ye have Christ, believe in Christ. They may be the children of Christ. Because Jesus is saying, He said in John 9, that I must work the works of Him that sent me while it's day, the night comes. He said it, um, I believe also in John 11, uh, verse 10, he also mentioned night. A night is coming. And here too, he's uh, indicating there's going to come a time when you do not have the light. You only have the light for a little season. And that's exactly what happened. We had the light of the world. It was the completion of God's salvation program for that 6,100 days. And then came the end of the Great Tribulation, the end of the little season, and the lights went out. The light of the Gospel went out. The light of the world. As it says in John 8, um, verse 12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth Me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Because He's the light of the world, he, uh, and, and that has to do with salvation. God calls him the light of life. Now, once the light leaves the world, then you have no more life, no more salvation possible. And let, let's, I know we've gone over it before, but let's go and take a look again. And I think we'll see an emphasis. Uh, a very obvious emphasis that God places on Judgment Day 
beginning in Matthew 24:29. It says immediately after the tribulation of those days and again May 21, 2011, the tribulation ended. So immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven. That's all the lights that are in the sky. The sun, moon, and stars. There are no other lights that lighten the um, the heavens except for the sun, moon, and stars. In Mark 13... It says in verse 24, but in those days after that tribulation, this is a slightly different worded statement. It's telling us a period of time called those days that comes after the tribulation. In those days after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And uh, here God is indicating there is darkness for a period of days. He's not specific. It's a period of days. But if you don't have the sun, moon, and stars, how could you keep track of time? If it were literal, you couldn't. It must be figurative or spiritual language that he's using in, in Luke 21. He confirms that in verse 25, and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. So there's signs in the celestial bodies, the sun, moon, and stars. But if the sun is dark and if the moon is dark, not giving its light, and the stars are falling, is that a sign of the end of the world? Or is that the actual end of the world? That that would be the literal, actual, physical destruction of the world. But a sign is something, first of all, you can't look in the heavens for. Uh, uh, give us a sign uh, of telling us that you are who you say you are. Show us a sign, the Jews said of Christ. And Jesus said, no. An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. No sign will be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And then we wonder, well, what is that sign? Well, in order to find out and discover what that sign is, what do we have to do? Go read the book of Jonah. And where is the book of Jonah found? In the Bible. So that tells us that the only sign God will give is that which is written in the Bible. Nothing outside the Bible. Nothing up in the sky. We don't look for Christ coming and waiting for the day the sun is actually darkened. But when He reveals to us spiritually, the lights of the Gospel are put out. And we know it from the Word of God, the Bible, that the the Gospel light, the light of the world, is gone then we have a sign that is telling us, look up for your redemption draws nigh. And not the redemption of our soul, but the redemption of our physical body, of receiving a new resurrected body. Uh, Or let's go to Revelation 6. Revelation 6, verse 12, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, 
and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And all these verses are describing the same time period of Judgment Day that um, that comes upon the world. Um, we we also find that the light of the world in the Day of Judgment is is put out. The sun is dark, and a, a darkness comes over the earth. Um, as God describes Judgment Day, for instance, in Zephaniah chapter one, it says in verse fourteen. The great day of Jehovah is near, it is near, and hasteth greatly, even the voice of the day of Jehovah. The mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. That's the day of Jehovah, the day of the Lord. It's day of darkness and if that's not enough it's a day of thick darkness it the sun is out the moon's not shining its light the stars are falling dark 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 i go to joel chapter 2 joel 2 and let's read joel 2 verse 1 and 2 Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of Jehovah cometh, for it is nigh at hand, a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness. As the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations." Again, it's a similar verse to what we read in Zephaniah. Or turn to Matthew 22 in the New Testament. And beginning in verse 11, uh, in a parable that the Lord gave, it says, And when the king came in to see the guest, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now that verse is stated actually in a similar way a few times in the New Testament where it said, Cast him into outer darkness. Well, we wonder what is that outer darkness we used to think it was a place called hell that there was an actual place on judgment day that god would create an awful place of hell and he would throw people into it and and, uh there would be the place of outer darkness but it's not the case no the place of outer darkness is the world because god has Uh, put out the lights of the gospel. He's made the world dark. And all the people of God, the true believers, are brought into the kingdom of heaven spiritually. They're a part of God's kingdom. And and so they are not in the darkness. Uh, They're uh, not in that spiritual condition. But the world is turned into a place of outer darkness. Um, Let's 
Let's also go to Revelation chapter 9. And it says in verse 2, And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace and the sun, and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And this is again, Judgment Day, May 21, 2011. And again, God is emphasizing darkness. Darkness is uh, is the characteristic, one of the main characteristics of Judgment Day. In Revelation 16 and verse 10, it says, And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues for pain. And this is referring to uh, Babylon, which is this world. It's the beast kingdom. And it is full of darkness as uh, the vial of the wrath of God is poured out upon it. Or look at Revelation 18. In verse 23, uh, speaking of the fall of Babylon, says, And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. So there, there again, the light is not shining. Here it's uh, illustrated a little differently by the light of a candle rather than the sun or the moon. But it's teaching the same principle, the same spiritual principle, that God's light, the light of the world, the light of the gospel is out. There is thick darkness that has come upon all the earth. And God is the one who did it. In Isaiah chapter 45, we read in verse 7, I form the light and create darkness. God did that um, with the creation of the world. When we read in Genesis 1, He created the world, there was darkness. Then He created the light. He does both of these things. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, Jehovah, do all these things. And God does these things physically, but He also does them spiritually when He put out the light of the gospel in the world after the tribulation, he created darkness, a spiritual darkness. And he also created evil as Judgment Day is uh, identified in the Scriptures as a day of evil. It's an evil day. Um, For instance, we read that in Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, which also speaks of the sun, moon, and stars. Uh, It says in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them, while the sun or the light of the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. We have to read this carefully, but but uh, basically what it's saying is that the days of youth are a time in which uh, you can have pleasure, and and that would be referring to God because it's according to God's good pleasure that anyone's saved, and that is really a reference to the day of salvation, 
wherein God is saving. But then it's a warning of evil days that are coming that are also called years. And in them, there is no pleasure. The, the, uh, you know, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. We read in Ezekiel. He, he takes no pleasure in that. And of course, judging mankind, bringing upon them spiritual death, and then finally, literal destruction, the second death, that he takes no pleasure in that. And nor do the people of God, the true believers. We, we don't take pleasure in that. We desired salvation for people that that was how uh, God uh, willed in us to do of his good pleasure to accomplish the sending forth of the gospel because we wanted people to be saved and so here God is speaking of a future time in which the sun the moon and the stars are darkened and there will be no pleasure in them and they will be evil days. They will be the evil day of judgment. Well, let's, you know, we've seen all these verses. There's many more we could go to. And um, I'll just go to one more in Isaiah 13. Isaiah 13. This is uh, an incredibly strong emphasis that God... um, places on the darkness that comes on the world in the day of judgment. It says in Isaiah 13, verse 9, Behold, the day of Jehovah cometh, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened and is going forth and the moon shall not cause her light to shine, and I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Again, he said it again. And you could also read Joel 2.10, Joel 3.15 that are saying the same thing. Ezekiel 32, uh, verses 7 and 8 reiterates the same truth. Darkness, darkness, darkness. And we know that that means no more salvation because Christ is the light of the world and you can't have salvation without Him doing the work of God that sent Him. And He he told us He would only perform that work while it's day or up until the end of the Great Tribulation, the twelfth hour, the last hour, he'll no, then comes the night, the evening, and he'll no longer do that work. We understand that. But is there anything else that may characterize darkness? Is there anything else that would let the people of God know that would really be the Bible, first of all, showing us that yes, in fact, on May 21, 2011, it was Judgment Day. It was the end of the Great Tribulation. And the world did enter into intense spiritual darkness at that point. Is there anything that maybe we could consider 
uh, besides the fact there's no more salvation. Because the end of salvation, you know, you'll meet people who say, well, I accepted Christ last week. I got saved. And they just don't believe you because salvation is something you can't see. It's a spiritual thing. It's it's in the spiritual realm. Somebody says they're saved. We don't know if they're saved or not. They might be saved. And and somebody says they got saved. Well, we do know if they're saying I got saved by their own efforts. No, that's not how God performs the work of salvation. And we also know that God is sovereign concerning whom He saves and when He saves. And if the sovereign God has determined to to uh, say there's a certain point in which I will perform that work of salvation, otherwise called the day of salvation, a prolonged period of time, and that day concludes on this day I'm putting my finger on, May 21, 2011, and... Well, God is sovereign to do that, and and therefore we'd have to tell someone, I'm sorry, there's no way you got saved last week or last year or two years ago because sovereign God indicates from His Word, the Bible, He stopped saving people. But again, that's not something that can be outwardly observable. However, however, uh, let's look at another way God speaks of darkness. In Romans chapter 1, in Romans 1, it says in verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Their foolish heart was darkened. And what follows uh, next in Romans chapter 1? God goes into a detailed description of, of awful sins, terrible sins that will come upon mankind at the time of the end of the world. But He highlights one especially. Homosexuality. The sin of homosexuality. Uh, for instance, he says um, in, uh, well, I'll just read from verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who change the truth of God into a lie. Now, I just want to comment on that statement because when, when courts of men, no matter if they're the highest courts, and I don't care if you had all the supreme courts of all the countries, as Robert was saying earlier, the nations as a whole are but a drop in the bucket. And you could gather up all their supreme courts and all their presidents and and all their leaders, and you could have them all with one voice say, "Well, this um, this is the law," and it could be that two men can now marry. It's legal. There's there's nothing illegal about it, and they've changed the law of men. 
of men. They have not changed the law of God. The law of God is unchangeable. It alters not. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And His Word stands. His Word is the supreme Word. He is the supreme authority. And and there's no one who can compare to God. And certainly not what uh, little, tiny, finite uh, men do and, and the decisions they make. It, it, it does not compare. The only thing men can change in regards to the law of God is they can change the truth of it to a lie. And that's what it says here in Romans one twenty five, who changed the truth of God into a lie. Men can do that, and they've done that. They do that with abortion. They call it a good thing. Well, God says it's murder. They, they can do it with anything they like. That, that's something men are excellent at doing, turning truth to a lie. And they've just done it again. And worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections for even their women to change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lusts one toward another men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. Now, the word error there is uh, Strong's in the Greek, 4106. It's the same word as delusion in Second Thessalonians 2, verse 11, where God says, I'll send them strong delusion. So here, uh, God is tying together because in Second Thessalonians 2, that's a chapter dealing with the end where the man of sin is set up. And it leads into God saying, I will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. The truth of God, of course, that has much to do with the false gospels and doctrines, but it, it also relates to these things such as evolution, abortion, gay marriage, lies. They're just simply lies. They are, they are not true. Um, God's word has not changed. Uh, he has not altered anything at all. But uh, going back to Romans one twenty one, their foolish heart was darkened. And then it leads into this discussion of homosexuality. Now, let's look at another verse in Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians four. And um, verses 17 and 18, it says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. See what God is saying there? Their understanding of the natural man is darkened. And it's always been the case. The the unsaved have always been in the dark. They've always had their understanding darkened. But the Holy Spirit operated in the world, restraining sin throughout the history of the world to various degrees. And 
um, yet at the time of the end, the Holy Spirit is coming back. He's removing his hand of restraint. He did it in the church. And, and that's a good verse to, to consider in Second Thessalonians, that chapter we were just uh, referring to in Second Thessalonians 2. It says in verses 6 and 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let. The he is the, the personal pronoun is referring to God the Holy Spirit. And the word let is a word that means restrain. Only he who now restrains will restrain until he be taken out of the way. And he came out of the way in the churches and congregations. And yet also, immediately after the tribulation, the Holy Spirit left the world as far as salvation is concerned. That's what the Holy Spirit did to the churches. And so, if God's following the similar pattern, the Holy Spirit, upon leaving the church, then we find the churches and congregations get worse and worse or darker and darker. Just look over the course of the 23-year Great Tribulation period and you began hearing things going on in the churches that, that were unbelievable. If somebody had told you about them in the 1940s, of course I wasn't around, but I, I know it's true, or the 50s or the 60s or even the 70s, that, that these things were going on, such as holy laughter and falling over backwards and speaking in tongues to the degree that it had spread throughout the congregations and, and having Super Bowl parties and having beer in the congregation to attract people using the philosophies and the business practices or the business models of the world to draw people in. Just, it, incredibly when you look at it from the perspective of the Bible dark incredibly dark they matched the condition of the world and it got worse and worse worse and worse well it started with the Holy Spirit leaving no more salvation and God has followed the same pattern on May 21, 2011 the light of the world has left Jesus is typified by the sun. And when the sun is said to be dark, that means Christ, the light of the world, is not present any longer in the world to save. And we can also expect that the Holy Spirit's activity of letting or restraining will likewise begin to be pulled back. Exactly as it happened in the church, it's happening in the world today. And when the Holy Spirit uh, is pulled back from the darkened, spiritually blind mind of man, what do they do? Well, we're, they, they lack understanding. They lack understanding. Do you ever wonder how could it be when reading the Old Testament that there were actually people that that would offer up their sons as sacrifices to heathen gods. There were people they would they would do that, and and we shake our heads. How could anybody do that kind of thing? 
Well, when we look back at the history of the world, especially before the cross, when we read some of the biblical accounts of the practices of the heathens, of the barbarians, of the Gentiles, they they were very dark practices. And it was the Gospel that delivered the world from that darkness into the light. Well, no, not everyone became saved, but as the Word of God went forth, as the churches were established, so came civilization. So came, I guess, a reflection of the light, we could say, that would shine into the communities, into the various nations. And we we read in the book of Acts, they burned their books of... um, uh, wicked practices, I forget what they were, of, of curious arts. They burn the books. That's going a different way. Today, they're busy at work writing as many of those kinds of books as they can to publish and to spread as far as they can. We're going the reverse direction. The Gospel light established this modern civilization to a large degree God is putting it out and and now the world is going back to darkness. Let's turn to um, Genesis chapter 19. Genesis 19. And in Genesis 19 we read of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain except for Zoar. Now in, uh, here in Genesis 19... I'll read from verses 4 through 11. It says in Genesis 19:4, But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. It wasn't just a few of the people. It wasn't just a particular group. It was all the people of Sodom, according to this verse old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? And they're referring to two angels or messengers. They were actually God himself that Lot had taken into his house. Bring them out unto us that we may know them. Now this is a word that is referring to sexual relations. And their men... And they think there were two men that went into the house. So they're, they're saying we want sexual relations with these men. The sin of homosexuality. And that's why God says, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it. In Jude, whoops, alright, <laughs> where do I go next? Not sure. In Jude, no, no, Harry, that's fine, that's fine, thank you. In Jude, um, it says, In verse 7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. The strange flesh is what they were after, which God is making reference to their call to Lot, bring out the men that we may know them. They, they had evil intentions in mind. And then verse 6, And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. 
Behold, now I have two daughters, which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. Now this is further confirmation. Because Lot is, is saying, no, here's my daughters. Now, we're not going to get into uh, the the whole idea of that of a father um, presenting his daughters. But we can see that he thinks this is a, a terribly wicked thing they're doing. And he even to the point of, no, here, take my daughters. Because at least that would be more proper. It, it, of course, there's no properness when it comes to sin at all, but but that's why he's offering his daughters. These two men came under the shadow of my roof. And then in verse 9, And they said, Stand back. And they said again, This one fellow came into sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. It's interesting that they're identifying Lot as the judge. And this is referring to Judgment Day. It's referring to Judgment Day. Look what God says in Luke 17. Again, keep your finger in Genesis 19. In Luke 17, verse 28, Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So the reference these men are making to Lot is the judge. And Lot can represent the believers. And who is Lot with? He's with God. The two messengers or angels are the angel of the Lord. It is God Himself. So we have God and Lot. And Lot, is. remember God says, His righteous soul was vexed day by day by their unlawful deeds. So He is a type and figure of the elect that are with God. As we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, God speaking to the saints, the elect says, Know ye not that ye will judge the world? Well, here Lot is called the judge. And then they say in the middle of verse 9, Now will we deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them. Who are those men? No, no, uh, the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house. Who are those men? God pulled Lot, the righteous, the righteous, the elect into the house of God, not the house that's on our local street corner, but the spiritual house of the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom of heaven. They pulled him in and shut to the door. They shut the door. There is the really the outline of Judgment Day. And who is central? Who is the focus on when it comes to Judgment Day? As, as far as Genesis 19, the men of Sodom. 
and their desperate wickedness. And their desperate wickedness is illustrated by the sin of homosexuality. That sin that, that yeah, we, we read it here in, in uh, Genesis 19 about Sodom, uh, but really, you don't find that sin everywhere. Every now and then there be an individual, of course. All through history there be some people, and well, the, they like to refer to the Roman Empire and its days of debauchery. But then when you read the book of Acts, you read the Romans who are so very careful about the law, doing everything according to the law. There could have been evil emperors who were involved in those kinds of things. Sure. But overall, God kept that sin sealed. Just it, it, basically like the Word of God, the Bible. He kept it under wraps, hidden, done in the dark, in secret, done in the dark. That's when that sin is performed. Traditionally, historically, that's what it means to be in the closet. You're in the dark. Well, now the world, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun is darkened. The moon does not give its light and the stars are falling from heaven and there is darkness over all the earth. What comes out? What comes out of the closet? Because the whole world is the closet. The whole world is in an intense spiritual darkness, thick darkness. And, and here uh, God is putting his finger on it in this historical parable They pulled Lot into the house and shut to the door and they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness. Blindness. And I won't ask everyone to close your eyes. We've all done that. What happens when you close your eyes? Can't see, but but what you can see something dark, dark. There's darkness when you close your eyes. You, at least that's what we perceive. I don't know if we're seeing it, even though our eye, our eyes remain open looking at our eyelids. But, but there is darkness when you are blind. You cannot see things. Spiritually, you would describe this as Ephesians 4.18 did, having their understanding darkened. Darkened. And so when someone has their understanding darkened, when they cannot see spiritually, as it goes on to say here, they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. The door is shut. The door is shut, but we still have churches. We still have religions. We still have all kinds of people talking about the kingdom of heaven and entering into the kingdom of God. And that's all they're doing is they're tiring themselves out. They're wearying themselves because you can't find the door in the dark. And it it could be, it could be that God is, is saying, I've made the whole world blind so that none of them will be able to find the door of heaven. The door is shut anyway, but it's another way of saying the same thing. No one will gain entry into the kingdom of God 
uh, because of the, the darkness and blindness that has come upon the world. Well, um, I think we'll, we'll stop here. Yeah, I'll just look at one more verse. One more verse. This is for the true believers in Micah chapter 7. Micah 7. Because, um, you know, here we are, just as Lot was in Sodom, here, here we are uh, in this world at a time that's been brought into this uh, spiritually darkened condition. And yet, uh, here's what God would say to His people, because what Robert was saying earlier in his study, that God will never leave nor forsake His elect. He'll never leave us. It's not possible for God to leave us because we have eternal life. We have eternal salvation. And and God, His Holy Spirit indwells us, so how could He leave us? If His Holy Spirit came out of us, we wouldn't have salvation. And, and it's not possible for God to give the Holy Spirit in salvation and give eternal life and then uh, to lose it. Well, here in Micah 7, verse 8, it says, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, Jehovah will be a light unto me. So here we are in darkness, just like as the Israelites in Egypt, in in one figure that God uses there, when He brought the plague of darkness upon the Egyptians. But we read in the book of Exodus that the Israelites had light in their dwelling. And and so too, do God's people have light in our dwelling of, of our soul as God the Holy Spirit is within us. And, and so yes, the enemy did rejoice against the people of God. They felt um, they were the winners on May 21, 2011. And God's people have been sitting in darkness ever since because that's the condition of the world. And yet God says, well, not so fast. Not so fast, enemies. Don't rejoice against my people. In verse 9, I will bear the indignation of Jehovah because I have sinned against him until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me. And he will bring me forth to the light and I shall behold his righteousness. So God will bring his people to the light of uh, day in the sense of ending this world and and uh, creating a new heaven and new earth. All right, we'll stop here and close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the light of the word of God, the light of the gospel that. Uh, even though uh, it's present and the believers can see the light because the believers have light within themselves, yet you have caused the light not to shine in the world. The world, the unsaved, will will not witness the light of the sun or moon or stars. They'll not witness the light of the shining of a candle or the light of Christ in any way. It will not penetrate their darkness. Father, we pray that you would help us to uh, 
not be troubled or disturbed by the things that are happening in the world, but actually to be comforted in the sense that we're seeing your word fulfilled in uh, in dramatic ways, in ways that have never been seen before in the world's history. We're seeing things that have never taken place, and yet your word has spoken of them. And so it is actually encouragement. It is the sign of the coming of the Son of Man in the end of the world to see a darkened sun, moon, and stars. And we see this, and so may we, uh, with expectant hearts, look up for our redemption draws near. We pray that you would help us day by day, help us to do your will, uh, to uh, follow you and, and not uh, the world or the people of the world. Help us to follow your word. And Father, we pray for the team in Nicaragua. We pray that you would bless them today, help them, give them wisdom towards every person in every situation. Help them to avoid strife, to avoid um, conversations that are unprofitable. Uh, help them not strive nor fight nor argue, but to be gentle unto all men. We pray that you would also bless your sheep, your elect that are in that place and in all Central America and and all over the world. We ask that you would uh, bless your word to your people. And Father, we thank you that you have not left nor forsaken us even at this time. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.